Thank you, Pastor Koye and worship team. Good morning, High Point. Yeah, still morning. Hello, my name is Femi, um, F-E-M-I. I'm one of the elders here. If you already know how to spell my name, you can invite somebody new and they can learn how to spell my name too. Um, today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 14. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 25 through 35. And I think as you flip there, it's on page 1591 of your pew Bible, that the song I owe it all is a very good thing to meditate on as we're reading this passage as well. So really good connection there. Starting from verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, This person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This is the word of the Lord written for his people. Thank you, Femi. F-E-M-I. I'm M-I-K-E. Or M-B or Bear or U or whatever. I'm glad most of you, if not all of you, survived the time travel last night. I uh, woke up at 1 o'clock, just woke up. Usually if I wake up, wake for 10 minutes, I start to read. Often that puts me back to sleep. It didn't. At 1.58, I thought, hmm, what time's the time change? So I Googled it, 2 o'clock. So I quickly went to my phone. I was already on my phone but just to the clock, and I watched it with bated breath. Because I didn't know if it would go to two or just one. 159, 159 and 59, one. It was really cool. (laughs) So I read from one to two, and then I slept from one to two. It's fun to redo things in your life. At least it is for me. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you just don't know how you got there? It's not what you intended? It happens to me a lot driving. Nestle's laughing. I get to the bottom of our street, and if I don't tell myself where I'm going, I end up in the parking lot out here. I have done that a number of times. So she's learned to very politely say, aren't we going to, or are we going to stop by? Oh, yeah. Or when I fail to read the directions. And all the wives said, Amen. 
or I jump over details and all the staff said amen. But we make decisions a lot of times quickly. We make them out of our um, emotions. We make them out of our reactions rather than a response. And, and the difference between the two is when we make a decision as a reaction, it's almost always out of our emotions, it's almost always negative, it's almost self-preserving, it's short-sightedness, it's, it's quick, it comes out of the flesh. When we respond, it's taking a breath. A lot of times in counseling, people will say, had a guy this week, in fact. He said, I just can't help it. That's who I am. That's the way I roll. He said, really? He said, when you have this strong emotion, when you have this reaction, do you know it's coming, even for a split second? He goes, well, I guess. I said, then breathe. And in that breath, make this statement. I'm a child of God. And that's going to give you enough pause to put yourself into Philippians 4, 8 or Romans 12, 1 and 2 or Colossians 3 where you can stop thinking from the flesh and think of such a way that your immediate is tied to the future and who you are as a child of God. It gives you time to consider how should I respond from the role that I'm carrying? Am I a father? Am I an employer? employee, a peer. We find that we make better decisions when we've stopped and we've counted the cost and we've thought about things. When it comes to counting the cost in spiritual and personal things, most of us take it as a negative. Conversely, if we're at work, business office, project, we're doing projections. We want to know what those costs are because we want to see a profit margin at the end of it. We want to see a project on time. But when it comes to us, it's a little different. Why? Largely because of the flesh. I want to be in control. I want to manage things. I want my comfort. I want my ability to make decisions. And it's compounded for us as Christians because we live in a culture that just bombards us in marketing. It's all about you. You deserve this. You see yourself in that, that new Beamer. You see yourself in whatever it is that attracts you. If you're on the web, the last thing you search for to see how much whatever it was, all of a sudden is a pop-up alluring you that this is for you. This will make you happy. And it's difficult because that's not what God has for us. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. Our flesh doesn't like that verse because it's a little narrow. And in the church, the gospel has gotten a little easy. And we like that. Because after all, I only live for once and I only live for a short time. 
need to get all of it I can. But that's not what the Bible says. And so Jesus says, listen, following me is not easy. But it's good. See, what God has for you is better than anything you have now. Because he created you. Now, that's not why we follow Jesus, though. We don't follow Jesus so that it's better. We follow Jesus because he's Lord. We follow Jesus because he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the one that created. He was the one that was, died on the cross. He's the one that we will celebrate in heaven. That's the reason we follow Jesus. And as long as we keep that the primary, then the secondary things become true for us. But we don't measure them necessarily in the economics of this world. We measure them differently. And we'll talk about that as, as we go on. Can you help me up there, Philip? I accidentally hit the wrong button. Thank you. A common theme through Luke and Acts is this idea of taking up the cross daily, of denying family, of repenting, of believing and, re and losing oneself, and it, and it carries on. And the flesh hates that language. But it's freeing language. And sometimes we don't hear the corollary that it's freeing. We hear the duty side of it. Especially in the Reformed traditions. I'm a sinner. Yes, I'm saved by grace. But I've got to walk out my salvation. I've got to live this thing out. I grew up in the Assemblies of God, and then I was an Assembly of God pastor, then a four-score pastor, and a vineyard pastor. Then I worked for Billy Graham, and I didn't know what I was. And now I'm here. But on the side that I grew up in, we didn't talk about being a sinner as much as God loves me. Therefore, he's rescued me. He's provided a pathway for me because he loves me. Both are true. Both are equally true. Over here, we needed to count the cost a little more. Over here, you need to get a little more happy. This is a bigger deal than the Packers beating the Patriots today. Let's pray. <laughs> Following Jesus is worth it. But he says it's going to be difficult at times. It's not a whim. It's not a good idea. It's something that is powerful for you because it will take you in a place that I designed you to be. You'll reap the benefit. The first area he talked about was family. If you love me, if you follow me, you're going to have to hate your family. Now, there's a hard translation there. It really is to love less. Jesus took care of his mother when he was on the cross. And John, would you take care of my mom? Yeah, I'll do that. He loved his mother. He didn't hate her. But he was doing something that his Father in heaven called him to do. But he's saying there will come times when you're going to have to choose between your family, your friends, family traditions, for the sake of the gospel, and, and will you? 
Will you be willing to abandon for my sake, for my name? In Estelomai's life, that's been a reality. Some of you know, some don't, that our oldest daughter living a lifestyle that's not biblical. We don't approve of it, we don't condone it, but man, do we love her. Weekly, one of us is in tears over her. She knows the word. She's worked in a gospel preaching setting in seven countries. She's led, I don't know how many people to Christ. But she's in a space in life where it's a myth, Dad. You brainwash me. And every time you speak of it, you hurt me. In fact, you love Jesus more than you love me. What do you say? He said, yes. But that doesn't negate the fact that we love you. It means that we believe God's word to be true. And if we follow God's word, then you have a chance. And if we don't, we're all doomed. And it hurts. But it's what we have to hold on to. It's truth. Or maybe there's a marriage that's broken and it hurts. I had the privilege of praying with a, a man after last service who wants to do the right thing, but his flesh wants to do something different, tired of it. It would be so much easier just to say, fine, go. But that's not what God says. He says, stay. Stay and do the hard work. Pray. Let me in. Let me have your heart. And the hard part about that, he's going to do our heart before he does their heart. Not even fair. But if we stay, we begin to see God mold. We begin to see God ignite. We begin to see God shape beauty where there was felt rejection and pain. Because that's what God does. He takes our hurt and exchanges it for life. He restores. He redeems. The third illustration is going to be very close to home for some. I make no apologies for it, but it doesn't mean I don't feel your pain and your confusion. And I would love to walk with you if this is you. There are those who can profess to be Christians, but in our culture where sex is a commodity, it's easier to move in and act like husband and wife without the commitment to husband and wife, without marriage. I had a couple not long ago say, well, yeah, we know that the Bible says, but, well, we'll pray about it. I said, no, you don't need to pray about this. You need to obey. They didn't like that too much, so they left. He came back a week later, said, you're right. We are getting married in four months, but we do want to serve Jesus. See, you can't just partially serve Jesus. 
There's no such thing as a partial surrender. A few years ago, a pastor was visiting Italy and, and asked his host, what do you think of the American church? His host said, you really want to ask me that? He said, yeah. Why? What's wrong? He said, your language has changed. What? He said, you use the word commitment a lot. So what's wrong with commitment? He said, well, whenever a new word pops up, you have to listen to what it replaced. He said, what did it replace? The word surrender. Preachers across America used to pound the pulpit in surrendering to Jesus Christ. Today, we commit. The problem with committing is you can uncommit, but once you surrender, you don't own yourself anymore. Somebody else does. Somebody else has your rights. Somebody else will determine the outcomes. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. Sometimes it might hurt. Sometimes it may be uncomfortable. Sometimes it'll be fun. It'll be joyful. It'll be good. And we struggle because we don't know what we're going to be called to do from day to day, often from moment to moment. I may be having a great day in Jesus, and all of a sudden, somebody calls me a freak. Religion's a crutch. And if I'm not ready for that, I'm going to react instead of respond, and I'm going to hurt their chances of ever knowing the truth. And so I've got to be ready. I've got to bear my cross. I've got to be in the Word. I've got to practice prayer. I've got to practice listening. I've got to choose to be loving. I've got to choose to serve. I've got to do those things so that I'm ready at a moment's notice to love, to stand firm, or to defend. I can't afford to be in a place where I'm going to react. I have to be in a place where I respond in the name and the love and the power of Jesus Christ. I have to be willing to abandon worldliness. God's not against beamers, big houses, fun stuff. What he's against is when that stuff becomes Lord, because he is rightfully Lord. He is the one present at creation. He is the one present on the cross. He is the one who will be present in eternity. Not your stuff. One of my mentors when I was young passed away a couple of months ago. One of the wealthiest men I've known, but one of the most gracious men. Nobody knew he had money except his business associates. He was one of the top attorneys in Seattle. He came to me one day. I was a young pastor, and he said, Mike, here's the deal. He said, I got a lot of money. Find out the needs. You can't tell anybody about it. Nobody. I'll come to you once in a while, every couple of weeks, and I'll ask who needs money. 
Now I'm going to trust that you vetted it and you know. I need an address, where to send it, and that's all we need. That was so much fun. A young woman came to me, single parent, couple of three kids. She said, Mike, I, in the beginning of my senior year undergrad, I am working three jobs. I, I can't do this. I'm out of funds. I said, let's pray. So we prayed that somehow God, in knowing her story, would supply. I said, how much do you need? She goes, I have 12 credits is all I have to do. How much does that cost? She told me. Where are you going to school? She told me. I said, let's pray. Expect God to do something this week. Let's see. Ed came to me after service, and he goes, what do you got? <laughs> Told him the story. Where did I send the check? She came to me the next Sunday. You'll never guess what. What? Got a call from the business office. They're, I was so afraid they were going to drop me. My credits are paid for. All 12. God is so good. I said, yes, he is. God's not afraid of your stuff. He's afraid for you if he's not Lord. Because you'll miss so much that is good. Because there's nothing in your life that is as good as he wants to make it. See, you really can't serve two masters. But why would you want to? The passage that we read today was out of Luke. Mark commented on it with these words. Truly I say to you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters, what was Jesus saying? He said, you're going to have to leave if you're going to follow me. You have to be willing to. Or mother or father or children or fields, for me in the gospel, fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes. Brothers, sisters, mothers, children in fields, along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. I've known people that have come to relationship with Jesus and, and all of a sudden their friends are like scarce. And they're afraid of being alone. And then they come to church and they meet grandma and Sister and brother, cousins. And they realize that there's a family. It's called the body of Christ. They didn't lose. They gained. And they had a need and somebody met it. They needed a job and an employer heard and hired them. And all of a sudden, from these people that he didn't know, came life. And Jesus says, no, you're going to have to count the cost, but I'm not going to leave you hanging because you're my children. I love you. I care about you. But here's the condition. I'm God. You're not.
I'm Lord. You're not. It's not 60-40. It's not 80-20. It's all or nothing. And we don't like that language because somehow in our short-sightedness, we think that we can have a little of this, a little of that. And he's like, really? Do you know who I am? Do you know how much I love you? Do you know that if you'll let me have control, you'll have more? Do you trust me with that? There are people in the world who struggle, who want to lift up the name of Jesus, but to do so leaves them in peril. Let's watch this video. Jesus' response was, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that it may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What does it mean to lack in nothing? It means to lack in nothing. It means that your needs will be met. Maybe not in this economy, but in the kingdom economy. You'll be taken care of. If you asked any one of them if they wish persecution would go away, they would say no. Here's why. Because that would be to deny Jesus. Jesus said you will be persecuted. Jesus said they didn't like me and they're not going to like you because of my presence within you. They know that the Lordship of Jesus Christ is greater than anything they could endure. And that the blessings are so much greater. I had a friend preaching in Nepal, and the pastor had asked him in this small little church, would you give an altar call? And he said, yes. He loved the gospel. He loved to preach. He loved to invite people to Jesus. And just before he did that, it dawned on him where he was preaching at. And he said, Mike, with fear and trembling, I almost said no, but I did it. I gave an altar call. And 50 people came forward and knelt and were weeping, confessing their sins. So I felt that big. I was not anywhere near being willing to count the cost like they were. I knew it was dangerous for them. The next morning I met with a pastor and he said, Praise God, so many came to faith yesterday. One of them was martyred last night for Jesus. Four of them were ostracized and beaten by their families, and they stand up this morning and praise the name of Jesus. 
you see, I, I didn't know what to do. I was so ashamed. Because I looked at it from the flesh. And they looked at it as a moment where they could lift up the king of kings in the face of the adversarial one. And they worshipped King Jesus. The team I was with at Billy Graham, we put on a training worship event for about 250 women that we brought over from the 1040 window in northern Africa. We had it at the Cove in this beautiful setting, and there were about 450 women in this worship setting. We had national worship leaders, a women's team that was created, and it was wonderful worship, and this lady that was standing down front, she steps out, and she's looking at this bowl of women worshiping. And she begins to weep, and her hands are raised, and she collapses to the ground, and we were standing over in an alcove, and I ran over to her, and I said, are you okay? And she said, this is heaven. I was taken aback because I was thinking it was a medical condition. This was just a worship night. This was normal. But for her, it was a taste of heaven. She said, I have never in my life been able to worship with another human being for fear of being beaten. And to be able to stand here and worship with the body of Christ. You don't know what that feels like for me. And I had to agree. I don't know what that feels like. Because we come here and worship and sometimes we're on our phone. Or we're thinking about other things. Or we don't like the music. Or it's a little loud. Or I wish they would sing that song. And we fail to understand that this is a privilege that we have to worship together the King of Kings. This isn't for our pleasure. This is for His good. He has called us to do something greater beyond ourselves. It's a privilege to count the cost. Following Jesus isn't easy, but it's good. It's right. It's holy. It's righteous. We say those prayers that get us in trouble. Lord, make me like you. And so he does. And he starts. And he begins to peel away our unrighteousness. And we start yelling at the devil. We call it spiritual warfare and all kinds of stuff. And he's like, what are you doing? Would you stand still? You asked me to change you. I've got to get this junk off you. I've got to get rid of the unrighteousness so I can redress you in my righteousness. Let me do my work. Because he's king. He's Lord. Every day, we get to recognize that our faith and trust are intertwined. And he does work all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Not just because he thinks you're a great person, but because you're committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. Because you're family, because you're sons and daughters, because you have an eternal home 
You have a name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And He loves you. And He calls us in relationship to follow Him wisely, to count the cost, but to realize that on the back side of that, He's got our back. But not just because it'll give us a better life, but because He is Jesus. When we have a belief, that belief determines our behavior. If I believe Jesus is Lord, then I'm going to live like it. And when I live like it, my feelings are in right standing with that behavior. If I just follow my feelings, I'm in trouble. Because I'll end up all over the place. Let me illustrate it. Some of you wear one of these. Next month, it'll be on my finger for 41 years. Well, not this one. The first one is in a cement patio somewhere. But <laughs> same thing. Right, hun? Yeah. I took it off and put it in my pocket. I just had a hole in my pocket. didn't know it. I made a decision to marry that beautiful lady. Her name's Estel. And she gave me a ring. And that ring was more than a piece of jewelry. It was a statement. You're a husband. I'm a married man. And that one decision has stopped me from making a million other little decisions along the way. I see a pretty lady down the street. I'm a red-blooded American man. My hormones work well. I get to say, thank you, God, for making women beautiful. And I don't have to lust. I don't have to follow. I don't have to follow that thought. I'm just free to go on because I made a decision. I'm a married man. She's my beautiful woman. I don't need to get caught in other things because I'm married. I made a decision. I just get to live that decision out. When we come to Jesus, we're making a decision that says, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my King. And that one decision stops me from making a million other decisions. I simply act like it. I behave like it because of a truth. He is my King. He is Lord. He is deserving. And that truth aligns my behavior and it aligns my feelings. And there's no confusion. And every once in a while, Mike's flesh pops up and I've got to go. And Nick is right. When sin pops up, you have to obliviate it. You have to deny it. You have to kill it. Because it's like a weed. It'll show up someplace else. And you have to say, no, I am in Christ. And when we make that confession, the authority of heaven is at our fingertips. The authority of heaven is at our mouth. It can govern our emotions. 
can do so much. But without Him, I'm in trouble. I'm not a very nice person without Jesus. I'm hard. I'm mean. I'll get my work done and you're in the way, I'll run over you. And honestly, I won't look back. That's Mike in the flesh. But in Christ, full of the Spirit, remade in the glorious image of Jesus, I love you. I care about you. I choose and get to serve you. I get to make hard decisions with you about lifestyles, decisions, and choices. None of it's because Mike's that great, but Mike's Jesus is. And he empowers me by his Spirit to do what he's called me to do in the same way he has called and empowered you to do what you do in the very same way, full of the Spirit of God, with authority, with joy. I'm going to ask Collier to come back up and we're going to have communion. See, Jesus knew the cost. He knew that coming to heaven was going to demand that he shed his deity, although he would still be God. Philippians 2.6 says that he would set it aside so that we could truly understand and come to him who knows our sorrows, who knows what it's like to have skin on. And he would take our sin and he would go to hell for it. But he would leave it there and he would create a way that we could believe in him, that he was Lord, that he did endure the cross and we could be free. So you and I we can't bear the weight of our sin. It's too great. The consequences are way too great. But King Jesus can, and he did. And he said, one trait that people have is you forget, and so I want you to do this often. Remember, I bled for you. I counted the cost, and it was worth it. My body was broken for you. And because I did this, billions of you have come to know me and me you and have created a kingdom that's so far beyond what the earth could ever know, the kingdom of God. And I love that you're in it. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, then I'm going to ask that you, you don't take communion with us. This is something for the family, for the body of Christ. Because it's a remembering of an act, of a submission to Jesus. On the other hand, if you feel a tug at your heart and you want to be in that family, you want to let Jesus take your sins and your sorrows and your guilt and you tell him that right now, you'll be in the family and you can join us.
If you do that, please come and tell me. I would love to talk with you, pray with you, and give you some material to help you understand what you just did. Collier is going to lead us in a couple of worship songs, and we're going to do a little bit different today. We've got a table here, here, and here. If you need gluten-free, it's at the back, just outside those doors. And as he sings, we're going to invite you to come and to take a cup and a piece of bread signifying the blood and the body of Jesus that was broken and shed for us so that we can remember that he counted the cost for us and he found us worth dying for so that we could live. And in that, we can follow him and count the cost and recognize that the life he gives is far greater than the life we have. And the majority of this room has done that, but he said, keep doing it. Keep remembering, keep counting the cost with joy. It says that he looked at the cross, but the joy that was set before him, he endured. Following Jesus is not easy, but it's good. It's right, it's holy, it's amazing. When you come, somebody will be there to serve you. They'll probably say something like, take and eat, this is my body broken for you, and take it and go back to your seats. And sometime during the song, take communion. But I want to challenge you to ask the question today, is Jesus Lord of your life? Not just a good friend. Not just something you need. But is he Lord? 100%. What in your life needs to be submitted to him? And do so. And if it means getting rid of something at home, get rid of it. If it means changing a habit, change it. If it means changing friends, change them. You got a family here. But do what you need to do to prove to yourself and to the world and those watching you that Jesus Christ is king. Because he is. Whether you acknowledge it or not, he stays king. And someday you will acknowledge it. I would rather acknowledge it now than then. When we've all been served, I'll come back and close us out for the morning. Collier, lead us. <laughs>